This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We continue our 2019 Look Ahead series by focusing on the real estate markets. 2018 saw interest rates pass 5% for the first time in quite some time. That made consumers very nervous about either buying a new home or refinancing a loan already taken out. But now that the mortgage rates are easing back under 5%, We wonder what's going to happen in the markets. At the same time, uh, changes in tax law hit mortgage interest deductions, home equity loans, and property tax deductions with a new state and local tax limit of $10,000. There is still a problem with the lack of new housing, and the expectations of some economists are for a sluggish 2019. With more, we are joined here in studio by Benjamin Keyes, Assistant Professor in Wharton's Real Estate Department, as well as a Faculty Research Fellow at the National Bureau of Economic Research, and also with us on the phone, Susan Wachter, who's a professor of real estate and finance in the Wharton School and co-director of the Penn Institute for Urban Research. Ben, great seeing you again. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Susan, as always, great to have you on the show. Pleasure. Thank you. So we'll start with you, Susan. How do you grade out 2018 uh, in the year for real estate when we had you know, the, the, the interest rate increases and the mortgage rates bumped up past 5, 5%? How do you grade it out? Uh, I give it a B. It's a good start, but it fizzled at the end. So it's an A and a C, uh, and the important thing going forward is the C fizzle at the end uh, for an average of B. But it did fizzle, and that has uh, implications for 2019. Ben? Yeah, I think I'm a you know maybe a slightly tougher grader than, than Susan because of exactly the, the way in which uh, things tailed off at the end. And so um, you know, if we are assigning letter grades, I'll, I'll go with the B minus just to be just to be different. Um, but there there are definitely some concerning uh, concerning signs, especially in the last quarter of the year. What are the b- biggest worries that you have, Susan, moving forward into 2019? Buyer strike at the high end. Housing prices have just gone up to the limit. They've gone up so that we're now at a median price of 300,000. And in a market like San Diego, it's almost 700,000. Who can afford $700,000? Who can afford a down payment of 10% on a $700,000 house, $70,000? And that's why we see a buyer strike. Interest rates also uh, are part of the story here. They've gone up. and the, uh, They've gone up 45 basis points uh, now, but at the end of the year, they were up even higher. They've eased back. But nonetheless, the combination of of higher interest rates and higher prices are the, are the real concern going forward. You know, we're still in a, actually a low interest rate, a low mortgage rate environment. Yeah. So the real problem is high housing prices. They're just too damn high. But I, I think, Ben, a, a couple of things on what Susan said is we're still in an economic time here in the United States where a lot of American consumers are struggling financially. There, there's a report out 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck right now. So if you throw that in, when you factor in the housing market, you would think that 2019 could be a little bit of an off year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I share uh, I share Susan's main concerns. I think those are definitely the primary issues. And I think when you're thinking about affordability um, in the current housing market, we've seen prices go up and up and up um, in the places where the jobs are, where people want to be. Um, and those are the places where it's hardest to build. And we're not seeing as much supply coming online um, with a few uh, a few small exceptions, a few cities that have really, um, you know, gotten building going and especially on the apartment uh, apartment side and, and some dense residential development. I think the you know, this piece about uh, about people living paycheck to paycheck. And I think this is one of the real 
challenges. I mean, we've had this long economic expansion. We have uh, an extremely low unemployment rate uh, yep. overall. We've had fairly steady GDP growth. And I think those sort of high-level numbers really mask a lot of the challenges that a lot of households face and a lot of the, the variation across metro areas. And so there are places where um, even th- those who are employed in relatively solid, stable jobs can't afford the housing. Susan? Agree. And agree particularly about the disparities across the nation. And it's the hot markets which are most challenging to buy into where the jobs are. So that's our that's a, that's the dilemma that the market faces and that's the dilemma for many people now and for and for jobs and for and for firms because the jobs are are finally there uh wages have not kept up with housing prices particularly in the markets where the jobs are and and i would guess susan that this obviously impacts uh the supply issue that uh, is a problem out there as well that if you don't have enough people buying why are the builders going to continue to want to build single family homes we see more and more uh, multi-family properties that that are out there but the single family homes are are, are you know are struggling a little bit right now right and there's also a, a bifurcated market it's at the high end where there is, I think finally the demand is slowing because prices have just gotten so high. But there still is that demand among millennials. Millennials are still un, uh, highly, um, unusually uh, renting rather than owning. And this is their peak age to switch to owning. They're 30 to 31. So there's a demand for that starter home among millennials. But even the starter home has gone up in price substantially. So it's a real challenge for uh, particularly in the high job, job growth markets, to get that foothold to become an owner. And what's really troubling about it is rents have gone up as well. Rents yeah. have gone up almost as fast as homes. So it's hard to save for that home while you're spending so much on rent. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that, Susan. I think the you know, millennials will be the, the saving grace for the housing market in 2019 if there is a saving grace. I think we are seeing millennials in the last two years in particular. Their homeownership rates have really shot up. And that's, yeah. again, you know, just a really slow recovery from um, hitting the job market at the worst possible time in, in the midst of the Great Recession. I think one of the challenges for accessing starter homes is the the broader property ladder and the way in which higher interest rates freeze that property ladder. So so Susan mentioned the the rising interest rates and um, above 5% uh, at the end of last year. A lot of homeowners have locked in rates at 35 um, or below 4%. And so that's going to really limit their willingness to move up uh, a notch on the ladder. If you have a two-bedroom house, you're not going to move to a three-bedroom house. Sure. If, you're, if um, you, know, you have to unlock that interest rate and lock yeah. in a new rate at 5%, and so you're going to wait until, uh, until you need the four-bedroom house, until you're really overstuffed. And so you're going to have this, this um, housing lock effect, and that's going to tie up... Um, more households in those starter homes. They're not going to want to be moving up the ladder. And that's going to keep uh, keep availability of those starter homes uh, restricted for millennials who are looking for that first home. Or are you also going to see people decide to, uh, instead of think about looking at the home, look at a home equity loan so that they can just do an add-on exactly. to, to the house that they already have and yeah. add that extra bedroom Absolutely. I, mean, I, I fully expect to see more, uh, more renovations uh, in the wake of rising interest rates because of this, that you're going to see people say, I don't want to uh, unlock that that great low interest rate that I locked in at historical lows. Um, yeah. So instead, I'm going to find a way to add another bedroom, add another bathroom, 
um, find a way to stay in this house a little bit longer. Going back to the pricing thing for a second, Susan, and and I'm thinking specifically, and I have friends in the Atlanta area, and and Atlanta has been one of those areas where you can get a a good four-bedroom, two-and-a-half, three-bath house for a, a pretty reasonable price, especially over the last few years. So what are we seeing in those markets that have been reasonable over the last few years? Obviously, I would imagine it's an increase, but is it an increase getting to the point where it's becoming a problem? It is an increase. And the southeast overall, we actually have seen housing starts increase. It's the west, the really unaffordable part of the United States, where housing starts have plummeted almost 25%. So not only do we have uh, bifurcation across income groups, we have a geography bifurcation going on. The more affordable markets in the southeast, Atlanta is a uh, perfectly good example of exactly this, are where we see are we see the growth uh, still occurring? Because the market, uh, while um, starts are down uh, over the year, that was still a positive year, and I still think that this coming year is going to be a positive year as well. It's just that it's not going to be uh, a, a great year for the housing market. We're way over the peak of the housing market. What's going to keep this market growing is millennials and the affordable Southeast. I completely agree with with Susan's take on this. I mean, if you look, I I saw some really kind of uh, interesting numbers looking at the the difference across across markets and and sort of the softening in some markets versus others. So um, so Las Vegas has had an increase in their available inventory for six straight months um, and now are up 82 percent year over year in terms of the inventory. And so um, usually when you see that much supply on the market, that's going to be lead to softening um, prices. And Denver is actually going through something similar, 45% increase in inventory. Now, it's starting from an extremely low base, yeah. um, almost nothing available on the market, um, but we're now starting to see that that soften a bit. And so I think that's going to have implications for uh, for prices. And I think it, it comes back to exactly these issues that, that Susan's been raising on both the supply and the demand sides for um, whether we're going to see um, prices soften or, or decline. And I, I share her view that I think uh, we are going to see on net, um, you know, overall prices probably rising uh, nationwide, but uh, but that's going to vary market by market. How how are builders being impacted by uh, a variety of issues that are kind of in play right now? And obviously, one being the tariffs, uh, two being to a degree the government shutdown right now. Ben, yeah, I mean, so I think the uh, the tar- you know we've talked about this in the past. I think the tariffs are really hitting in terms of the. Uh, in terms of the materials that are used to go into building, um, both single family and, and apartment buildings. Um, and those materials are going to be more expensive. Think about lumber from Canada, um, importing steel from China or other kinds of uh, uh, other kinds of imports that go into building. I think the other piece is the labor side, and, and that gets a lot less attention. But we've had a decline in, in um, an undocumented labor for about 10 years since the housing bust. Um, and the tightening of the borders makes it that much more difficult. And so builders really um, struggle to find uh, affordable labor. Um, and I think that that's driving up costs. And that's kind of a, a discussion that a lot of people don't want to have uh, yeah. when it comes to these dis- difficult immigration debates. But uh, one of the things that keeps housing prices uh, moderated is, is having cheap labor to, to help uh, provide, um, provide construction. Susan? Yes, agree. The regulation is also a big impact, and it's not that we only because we're getting more regulated as a society, although we are. It's also that the demand is uh, in the markets that are already heavily regulated. So these are the job centers. These are not the far-flung suburbs where you can build uh, uh, relatively cheaply because land is relatively cheap. The demand is where the jobs are. The jobs are increasingly in 
growing urban centers, and that's where uh, it is extremely difficult to build. So we see an increase in regulation impacting housing prices, and we see an increase in demand in relatively heavily regulated areas that's increasing the effect of prices, and not just prices, rents as well. We haven't talked about whether prices have gotten out of line with rents, but in short, they haven't. Uh, they've slightly increased relative to rent. So this is a driven, this is a not a bubble, this is a fundamental increase in costs of rents and uh, prices, which is driven by supply constraints all across the board. This is a trifecta of, uh, of, of cost increases. It goes to labor, it goes to supply, and it goes to regulation on land. But how much of that also is playing into the fact that, uh, you know, rents, probably declined a, a certain level uh, going back a decade when you're talking about the uh, uh, the, the the market crisis and the and the uh, and the recession as well so you're building back up but you're building back up from a from a lower perspective to begin with Susan correct but rents are higher than they were in real terms in 2007 it's housing prices that are just getting back in real terms to where they were at their height at the bubble at 2007. Rents, we've seen a steady and slow rise since 2000. There was only one point where rents declined, and that was, of course, during the recession of 2009. But this is unusual, because rents uh, for the United States, the United States has been quite um, an exception in so many ways, and one of our exceptionalisms is that housing has actually been pretty affordable in the U.S., and rents have simply kept pace with inflation more or less uh, over, oh, you know, of course, we're we're adjusting for quality, et cetera, and it's hard to measure these things precisely. But rents have not gotten very much out of line with overall costs in the U.S. until recently, until the last two decades. And we've seen something very unusual, which is that not just housing prices are uh, increasing uh, its rents, which means that it's really the underlying cost. It's not expectations. It's not a bubble. It's the underlying cost of delivering the housing to the market because of labor, because of land, because of materials, all three. So it's the, it's in terms of the cost story is uh, very challenging, particularly when incomes have not increased and wages have not kept up, which they haven't. For the vast majority of households. What about the, the, the issues involving the changes in, in the tax laws and things like mortgage interest deduction and, and property tax? How, how are we, how are we going to see? markets, absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't affect it across the board. It affects the high-end markets, but absolutely that's affecting markets in California, in, yeah. in New Jersey, in New York. The high-end markets are being hit with that in addition. Also, uh, other factors are the decline in foreign demand in the gateway cities. Yeah, right. So, uh, foreign demand from China, from from my uh, from uh, Latin America. Uh, these markets are um, the, the slowdown in income in China is affecting gateway cities in the west coast of the U.S. And all at the same time, some of these cities are being affected the high end by this deductibility issue, which you mentioned straight on at the beginning of the hour. It is it is likely to its major hit will be in 2019. It ha- we haven't seen it before as people pay their taxes in April and see the impact in April. That's when we're going to have that impact. And by the way, GNP is slowing, so. Uh, that too is going to slow down the housing market in 2019. So we're—I don't see that uh, prices will drop. I agree with Ben on that. 
but we certainly see a deceleration. It might be a pretty dramatic deceleration. But talk about the the China issue for a second, Ben, because Mm -hmm. we've talked about it before, and and the drop-off in investment over the last several months is pretty significant in terms of the amount of money that's coming from China to be invested in things like real estate. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if if you look at the... Uh, at, at the outflows and you look at some of the reports that have been coming out from uh, from realtors associations I had a conversation with a, uh, a realtor um, of, of high sort of luxury condo uh, units in New York City um, and it's really dried up um, especially from uh, from Europe um, and and South America but now there's and for a couple of years there it was really ch- a Chinese buyer uh, driven market that they were really propping up the high end of say the New York condo market yeah. um, and that's really starting to wane and so you know, I think it's a tricky thing when, um, you know, you think about the, the kind of options that that, that that type of buyer have, right? They can go to any city they want in the world. And so New York is not competing, um, you know, not, not competing with Boston or, or D.C. They're competing with London. They're competing with Tokyo. They're competing with um, with Zurich or where, you know, pick your financial center, um, yeah. Frankfurt. So, um, so I think, you know, one of the challenges there is that those buyers can be very fickle. They can be very responsive to... Um, to political um, the political mood in the country, um, and so we think of them as being very elastic um, in terms of of their demand and so as that demand shifts away, the problem is you've you 've um, taken real resources uh, and real materials and you 've put them in a place and you 've built a building a physical yeah. space. Um, and now those uh, those elastic buyers no longer want to be there. Um, so I think this can be a really tricky problem at that super tippy top of the high end. Um, and that's where we're going to see, I think, a lot of price uh, softening uh, if those foreign buyers um, continue to stay away. What do you want to see, Susan, happen? Uh, you know, What is your wish list for the real estate market going into 2019? What are the most, uh, most important things you think that need to be addressed? Well, well, let me just back up, because I I think that we have a global slowdown in housing. It's not just the U.S. So the China buyers are not buying in London either, and they're not buying in in Paris. So this is a um, global pullback, and that's my major concern, actually, is China, and not just for the housing market, but for GNP, which will then feed into the housing market. We in the U.S. are actually the driver for global growth through the tech uh, industry. So that is the second major concern, and that, of course, is related to China as well, is what's the future for tech investment, uh, because that is an export that has driven uh, our overall broad economy. Housing is not a driver right now of the slowdown, uh, but if housing deteriorates significantly, it could be a driver of the slowdown. Uh, housing is no longer a positive for the economy, and net-net it might be a slight negative, but it's not going to cause a 2019 recession. Uh, the question is 2020. So I'd like to get through 2019 and see a slowdown and see a um, uh, see what's happening with tech and with China. If we get through, uh, and there's, of course, there are political issues here, those will reverberate for the housing market. It's not housing market that's going to cause 
uh, a recession in 2020, but we surely need to look to the world's politics and the U.S. politics to see what's going to happen to uh, our long-term outlook and what does that do for the housing market for 2019 and 2020. Ben, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so my outlook for 2019 aligns very well with Susan's, and so I want to take a different tack and and think about credit policy for a second. So if we think about the affordability challenge, and and that's really kind of the underlying theme of all of this, and the the cities where people want to be, it's become very, very expensive to live. And and so um, so accessing credit markets has been a really important way in which um, in which folks have um, have have dealt with this. And we think about accessing loans through the FHA, um, through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Uh, well, you know, the the um, the regulator of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is the, the FHFA, the Federal Housing um Finance uh, authority, authority or administration, uh, but they've uh, the administration has nominated a new uh, a new director there, Mark Calabria, who's who's had some very extreme views in the past about the role of um, of the government in in sort of playing a central role in credit policy, and he wants them to take a big step back. Right. Um, and so I'm very curious to see, given the the state of the housing market, and we were talking about it in sort of a transition or being in a tenuous position, sort of with the broad global climate, um, whether uh, whether the government actually continues its role right. um, in sort of stabilizing uh, those types of credit markets or whether it takes a big step back. And I think um, you know, we're going to see that debate play out during his confirmation hearings, which should be coming up in the next couple of months. Great having you both with us. Thank you, Susan. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Great seeing you. Thanks yeah, for thanks. coming in. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.